0: invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. What a beautiful service we've had thus far to be able to sing songs to our God and Savior, to hear testimonies of the power of the gospel at work in the lives of some, to see them baptized. And even as we start this very traditional Advent season of reading these scriptures, to remind us, Of the meaning of Christmas and why we do what we do but today let's continue our time in the book of first Samuel we are in chapter 8 we're moving along in this book I'm gonna be reading the entire chapter you follow along your copy of God's Word it'll be on the screen Um, and always if you do not own your own Bible a real book not on your app not on your tablet but if you desire a Bible Um, We'll have some in the back for you in our welcome area, free of charge, our gift to you, so you would have God's word with you. So for Samuel chapter 8, this is the word of the Lord. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn son was was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being the king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, And serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the 10th of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. The word of the Lord before us. Father, would you teach us now your your word and the truths found in this text that it would rock us, Lord. It would convict us, encourage us, and point us to Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. One of the great challenges of the Christian life is to be a believer in this world, to live in such a way where we are distinct from the world. The challenge of heeding the warnings of God in the scriptures to not be swallowed up by the surrounding culture around us. While the culture is very much at attack, it's the, the, uh, the dominion of Satan and his demons, the prince of the, of the uh, of pietes of the air, Satan is out attacking and, and everything is distorted. What is evil is thought of as good and what is good is thought of as evil. And we, the church, have a call upon our lives to live differently, to live apart from the world. Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans 12-2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and is acceptable and perfect. Paul, he gives this verse to the church at Rome because the same thing that happens in our day, in our city, in our nation and culture, is very similar to what's happening in Rome. The Christians in Rome were feeling the pressure and the influence of the culture of Rome, and and they had the temptation to live their lives as Christians, but also as Romans. And this charge that was true for the believers in Rome, and that it's true for us today, that we are to live separate from the world, that we are to be not conformed to the world but transformed in our mind has always been true of God's people and true of our text here in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. As we see Samuel, he's giving this warning, a similar warning to the people of God who have been sucked in and influenced by the culture and the the world around them. And for them, it was a pagan world. God's people have always had to heed the warning. And always that warning and that direct word from God to keep his people on the right path so often required leadership. In the Old Testament, there were prophets and priests. And in the New Testament, there are pastors and teachers and believers who are mature, who know the word and have the gift of teaching, who could then preach and herald the word of God to exhort God's people. And this is what has happened in the book of 1 Samuel, particularly last week in chapter 7. Samuel finally shows up on the scene. It's been for Israel chaotic as they have fought the Philistines. And here in chapter 7, in the chapter before that we preached last week that we learned, Samuel shows up preaching a message of repentance. God's people have understood that they had sinned against the Lord. And Samuel shows up to intercede for them to make a sacrifice on their behalf, the shedding of blood, and even makes a memorial stone, Ebenezer. The Lord has been with us all this time so that they would remember for years to come, and generations to come, how God is the one whom they need, and Him are they to depend, and instead of looking at the gods of the culture and the world around them, and not serve those gods and kings, that they are to serve God and God alone, the only one who truly is out for their good. By the end of chapter seven, we find that Israel repented, and they heard the message of God through the prophet Samuel. And we get a picture at the very end of the regular life of Samuel, how he would travel from city to city exhorting God's people, and how we find that, that, that Samuel was this faithful prophet of God. And chapter seven first tells us that 20 years had passed before the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Israel if you remember. Now, in chapter 8, a lot of years have passed, because now the text is telling us that Samuel is old. In the beginning of the book, it was Samuel, the boy who was delivered to the temple with Eli by his mother, who God had, had awakened him in the middle of the night. He said, here I am, Lord, I hear your voice. As He was being prepared to be that prophet. And here in chapter eight, we see all these years have gone by and now Samuel is an old man. And what we read from the text, the context of this chapter is that God's people, Israel, is now demanding a king. They want a king. And a king other than God. So as a main idea for us, this morning, here's what I want to establish, and is this, If if you're taking note, write this down. Temporary earthly kings could never bring the salvation and the freedom that only God can give. As Israel is out to look for a king, to look for their peace and prosperity, to find great benefit from this king, We need to understand that as we try to pursue the same things, to depend on others, to depend on earthly fallen kings, that we will be reminded that the salvation and the freedom that we so long for can only be found in God and in God alone and in his provision through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 1 tells us from the very beginning that Samuel has become old. We see this. In the beginning there in verse 1, but then in verse 4, we hear that the elders of Israel, they gathered together. It was an important meeting. And they came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, Samuel, you are old. Why are they telling him, Samuel, you are old? It's not because he's, he's hit some middle age crisis thing an old man he know he's you know he understands he's old he's physically old they have come to tell him that he is old and in his old age he's not leading as they think he should his season of judging Israel as the last of the judges has come now is winding down has come to an end in their understanding and he's old And these things happen when we get old. On the one hand, it's a beautiful thing to get old because there's years of experience, years of wisdom, years of knowledge, years of walking with the Lord that younger people do not experience. There's a wealth of, of wisdom and experience in our older members and our younger members should listen and hear and learn from those who have been walking with Jesus for a very long time. But there's also the other side of old age. And the other side of old age is that you are physically, mentally perhaps declining and your sharpness is not there as it was when you were younger. And in this process of aging that we're all gonna age unless the Lord comes and he gathers us all, one of the things that I pray for as I get older is that my wife and children and pastors would tell me when it's time to hang up the gloves of ministry. When it's time to retire. That they would love me enough to say, hey man, you're old. It's time to step down. And I want to see that day and Consider that day when it comes, if it comes, as a beautiful day, because like Samuel, what we have in the testimony, in the the few verses of his absence in those 20 years and now, because we don't see a lot of Samuel until now, we, we can say this, he's been a faithful servant of the Lord. Serving the Lord all the days of his life until this old age where now they're telling him, hey, you're old, it's time to make some changes, and do I pray that when I'm old that I will still be faithfully serving the Lord and that I would heed the warning of those who love me most, hey, it's time to retire. But he was old and and perhaps in that old age he had to make some decisions. Perhaps he wasn't traveling like we see in the end of chapter seven where he's traveling from city to city. And he's at Ramah as well, but he's very active in his ministry. Perhaps he can't travel as much. Perhaps he doesn't have the same drive and energy to judge Israel. So what we find in verse 5 is that he makes a, a bad decision. Because they say, behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. Oh, verse 2 tells us that he had two sons. He appointed them as judges in Beersheba a city that's about 50 miles away from his home. Now, why would Samuel do that? Priests were the one who had a legacy, a family heritage of serving in the office of priest. That was not true of the judges. God just sprung up judges in, in the right moment, at the right time to save his people. But Samuel, in his human wisdom, he's trying to figure out in his old age how to rule well, how to judge Israel well, and apparently, he points his sons. Now, his sons are 50 miles away. For us, that's no big deal. For us, that's just a 30-minute drive. It depends how fast you go. But for him, there is no texting. There is no calling. There is no vehicle. It's, it's, there, is, there is a disconnect from his sons. So Samuel has no influence over his sons. And his sons are absolutely going crazy. Much like Eli's sons in chapter 3. They were after gain, they were after money, they took bribes, they a perverted justice, involved in all types of corruption. And this brought a great concern to the people of Israel, to the elders of Israel. It brought frustrations and a desire for change. But note that Eli and Samuel, the father of Two sons on each side who were corrupt, they're very different. For Eli was involved in his son's corruption. He benefited from the fat and the meats that they would take from the sacrifices. And he was always around. He, he grew old. There was an old man who was big and fat. And, and God judged him for not leading well his sons. That doesn't seem to be the case with Samuel. Samuel. Samuel had sons who were far from him. And the author of the book tells us that his sons were not walking in your ways. Your ways, not God's ways, but God, your ways, Samuel. So there's an acknowledgement that the ways of Samuel were godly and faithful, and the ways of his sons were not. But if they would walk in the ways of their father, they would walk in the ways of God, because Samuel was following the Lord. And in this frustration and in this fear for the future of Israel, they they were worried about leaving the decision and the future of, of Israel to a fading old man who has no influence over his sons. It provoked them to now say, Hey, why don't we come up with a plan? Why don't we exercise our own human wisdom? We see this throughout the book of 1 Samuel. And here they are again, the people of Israel, they're like the elders. Here's the best solution for us. Samuel, appoint us a king. A king like in the likeness of those of the other nations around us. A king. We need a king. That's not something foreign to Israel. There has always been the context, the conversation about having a king. If you remember the book of Judges, one of the big refrains of the book of Judges is that there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Until now, God had raised judges. In the book of Judges, when God's people would fall away and pursue the gods of pagan nations, God would raise up punishment over them through their enemies and god would raise up a judge to rescue them to be a type of messiah to come rescue them and that vicious cycle of sinning and then slavery and then rescue through a judge and then restoration that vicious cycle was something that the that the elders of of israel were were very much aware of and they see samuel as his last judge and they're not they don't want another judge what they want is a king We don't want somebody who will be temporal. No, we want somebody who will establish a monarchy, who will establish a dynasty. Samuel, what we need is a king. And it wasn't necessarily wrong to desire a king. But you you needed the right king, the only king. Oh, in the book of Judges, we see that, again, the people of Israel... To Gideon, they wanted him, after his victory over Midian, um, they wanted him to become the king. In Judges 8.22, it says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, we don't want you to be a judge, because a judge is not one who his descendants become judges. That was only for the priests, but they had their function, where they were actually saying, Gideon, be our king. Be the one. Why? Because you have saved us from the hand of Midian, the biggest error that they did not understand. It wasn't Gideon who had rescued them from the hand of Midian. It was God himself, and Gideon understood this. For he says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Well, they wanted to give Gideon credit, but Gideon understood that they were saved only by God himself, and he is the king. And if you remember, Abimelech, one of his sons, was corrupt. He tried to establish himself as king. And luckily or providentially, he only lasted three years. The people of Israel desire to see change. They want a king. Samuel, give us a king. And to samuel in verse 6 the text tells us that this was displeasing to him this brought agony to him because he knew it's it is understandable why he would be upset or displeased because samuel was a servant of the lord he had a fruitful ministry he served the lord he understood who israel needed Exclusively the one true king, God Himself. He was sufficient for them, not some inferior earthly corrupt king. Notice what He does. He prayed. This is what He did. He went to the Lord to pray. He didn't try to retaliate. He didn't try to assemble some type of council and meeting to sort of fight this decision. No, no. He went to the Lord. Samuel prayed. To the Lord. This was his reaction. This was his disposition. In the midst of being, of, of experiencing anger and this uh, p- uh, pleasure, he goes to the Lord in prayer. And I ask us today, ask us, where do you go when you feel displeased? Where do you go when you feel the stress and the anger? Do you take your burdens to the Lord? Or do you, or do you want to merely vent with others, take revenge, retaliate. We have a beautiful example in Samuel of one that in the midst of this situation, this dire situation, he went to the Lord in prayer. And look how God responds. So he goes to God in prayer, like God, Lord they, they want a king and we hear from the Lord a response that perhaps surprised Samuel. Because he tells Samuel in verse 7, obey the voice of the people. In all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being the king over them. In other words, obey them, establish them, because look, I'm going to teach them a lesson. They haven't rejected you, don't take it so personally. The rejection is against me. And basically he says, this is what they've always done. What an indictment. Verse eight, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. All these generations that have gone by, God is declaring here that the history of his people are a people who have always turned their back on him. From the moment they left Egypt, the, the, the early days of, in the desert, when Moses is up in the mountain with God, the people are frustrated at the base of the mountain. They don't hear from God. Moses is gone for several days, and they tell Aaron, Aaron, we need a God that we could see. We need a God that we could serve right now. So Aaron's like, okay, bring all the gold, bring all your jewelry, and they made this calf, and they started worshiping this thing. That was a great abomination against the Lord who had just rescued them out of Egypt. And their time in the desert, once and once again, they were a people who immediately, not long after that, were saying, Moses, it was better in Egypt, it was better to be a slave to Pharaoh than to be here in the desert. And so God tells Samuel, this has always been my people. This has always been us outside of grace. This is us, a stiff-necked people. But God says, Samuel, obey them, give them a king, but warn them that they would know, verse 9, that they would know, show them the ways of the king who shall rule over them. The ways, it could be translated, the judgments or the justice of the king who will rule over them. Let them know, Samuel, that they will have their king, but let them know what the justice of that king will look like. It will be corrupt. It will be sinful. It will be very different to the rule that I provide and the care and the love and the protection that I provide. Samuel, tell them they will pay the price for what they are asking for. Something very interesting is that as we progress in the story we will see at the end of of samuel's life in chapter 12 of first samuel as samuel is retelling the story of how they wanted an earthly king and how they had offended the lord the promises of god still stand because in chapter 12 verse 20 and 22 it says and samuel said to the people do not be afraid you have done all this evil Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. How amazing is that? That although his people are asking for another king although his people are making the wrong decisions, although his people are messing everything up, making stupid decisions, and suffering the consequences of all their decisions. What a promise that although I will rescue my people, I am sanctifying my people, disciplining my people like a good father, but here are the promises that we need to know, that God will keep his people, that he who began a good work in you shall be faithful to bring it to completion, but before he accomplishes all that and ultimately he does it in Christ God is here in this text and God so often disciplines those he loves allowing them to live through sufferings and the consequences of their actions and he says no you give him their king you give him the justice of an earthly king this is what they were asking for no no Samuel obey their voice Obey what they have said to you. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me first. Because what these people are saying, and this is the plight of man, they have rejected God to not want to be under the rule of the God of the universe is to say, I do not want to be lorded over by this holy God. I do not want to be a distinct nation. I do not want to be a holy nation. I do want to be known as God's people. I, want, I don't wanna swim against the current of the world. I wanna be like the world, look like the world. I wanna be absorbed by the culture, no different than the world. So we see, even today, Christians who rather walk in the direction of the world and try to syncretize their Christian faith. As we heard from Josh and Dita, who were in this New Age movements and the things that they were involved in that eventually oil and water do not mix people want to be believers and live in step in step with the world thinking that in that space they will find freedom that in that space they will find a, a way for them to live however they please and they see God as a killjoy as one who doesn't want their good one who is has them into bondage and slavery, but how amazingly wicked are our hearts and how messed up are our minds that we would think that to be true. God, to be in the Lord, to know Jesus Christ as Savior is the only space in this universe where you could actually find freedom. Any other way to live your life that is outside of God's rule leads to your destruction, that road ends, that pavement eventually ends, that bridge finally leads, you go over the cliff. Israel wanted to live under the similar reigns of other kings, they liked the kings of the Philistines. They were tempted by the kings of the Amorites. They wanted to live the pagan lifestyle just like the world, running with the world and not against the grain of the world. They were believing on the lies of the perceived freedoms and taking for granted in their sin that they reject God, the one God that says, I love you, I created you, and I have this beautiful redemptive purposes for you. And they rejected, oh, how wicked, how wicked man is. This is true in First Samuel, it's true in the New Testament, it's true in Romans 1. What a text we have before us in Romans 1 to speak to our day, to our culture, to our world, in, in, in the middle of the fights that are happening in our nation over gender, homosexuality, and race, and all the things. People want to serve these other kings, these other gods. They want to be ruled by politics. They want to be ruled by men, fallen men, instead of God. May that not be true of Christians. We have one God, one king. His name is Jesus. But look at what Romans 1 says, if you would just turn there real quick. Romans 1 and verse 21, it says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and reptile. Therefore God gave them up. It's what he did with with Israel and for Samuel. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise, they gave up natural relationships with women. And would consume the passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty from their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. We see that phrase again: to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. God gave them over to their debased mind. And This is what we're seeing. God has permitted a monarchy, has permitted for Samuel to establish a king. Samuel is upset about this because he knows that the only king that they need is God himself. And God says, give them the king. I have a redemptive plan, but this is what they want. Give it to them. And I but warn them, Samuel, of what it would look like to serve that king. How that king will have a strong fist upon them. How everything will be for him and not for the people. And verses 11 through 18, it's just the description of what this king will be like. These will be the ways, verse 11, of the king who will reign over you. Notice how many times he says he or his. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, not your chariots, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands of commanders and fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. He, 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 he. An earthly, corrupt, sinful king will enslave you and will destroy you. In other words, what he's saying is let them know that They left Egypt and I rescued them from there so that I would be their God and their king and if they would just trust in me, I will provide for them and they will be my people and I will will be their king and their God. Give them a king so that they can live just like they lived in Egypt again. Let them go back to Egypt without being in Egypt. You say, how's that possible? How's that possible? How is it possible that man would want to go back to those old sinful ways? Like a dog, he goes back to his vomit. So are we sinners. We crave what is corrupt and sinful. And what we need is a king, a savior, who will transform our minds, transform us, make us alive when we were dead in our sins, and trespasses, The same is with us. We try to reason sin out, pointing ourselves to those things that we know theologically and that we know the truth that is not for our benefit. And we forget the cost. I'm talking to Christians. We forget the cost of our salvation, the cost of our redemption. And to non-believers in this room, this is the trajectory of your life. You are desperately seeking to serve other kings and other gods, but they will betray you. Sin has brought upon man a desire to be autonomous from God. But in his pursuit of being autonomous from God, the only thing that he could choose is somebody who would exercise tyranny over them. Oh, I'm just so happy that Zach got baptized. And obviously for Josh and also Indira. But for the youth that are growing up in this world and being blasted by the gods and the kings of this world. And how we parents worry so much about our kids. How everything that they see and hear and the social medias and to every youth in this room, God's ways are absolutely perfect and good for you. God's ways are good for you. Dad and mom are not just these half that don't understand the world. They're older than you. They've experienced the world. It wasn't wasn't much different in the 80s, in so many ways, and 70s, depending on how mom and dad is. Listen to mom and dad. Listen to your community group leaders. Listen to your brothers and sisters. Listen to Dan Sandoval as he preaches on Sunday. Listen to those who are your age who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, listen to God's people and reject the lie that somehow outside of God's word and God's provision and God's kindness and patience, you will find anything else other but destruction for your life. Go against the grain of your own flesh. And seek the Lord like Indira did, how the Lord instilled in her a desire, this unsatiable desire, hunger. May the Lord do that in every single one of you. A desire to, I want to know God. I don't know what this means. I understand 10% of this. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to pursue the things that mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and my church and my pastors have said are good. They're going to be a bigger influence in my life than the world than Instagram and all these other things that we are and I'm not just talking to young, uh, to young people. I'm talking to adults. I'm talking to All of us who are absorbed by this world, who do you listen more to? Your coworkers, your partners, or your brothers and sisters in the Lord who are bringing the truth of God to bear upon your life? We need the ministry of the word among us, not in formal ways only, like preaching a sermon, but in formal ways as we do life together. These people, God's people, in 1 Samuel chapter 8 rejected God. They wanted a different God. And verse 19 just shows how far their craziness has gotten. Because verse 19 says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Samuel, shut up already. No, Samuel. There will be a king among us other than God. Paraphrasing. And we want one, a king among us who's like the other nations, not like the God that we've been serving. And we want that God, that King to judge us, and here's what's crazy and fight our battles. (laughs) And fight our battles. The blindness is astonishing. But don't put it past the possibility of that happening for us, to us. Are they crazy? In In the previous chapter, wasn't it God who brought the ark back to Israel by these? cows that had calves and that whole scenario that seemingly was impossible and yet those two cows went straight to the city where they needed to and God brought back the ark of the Lord to God's people? Wasn't it a God who brought tumors among the Philistines and rats and just tortured them until they could no longer deal with him? Wasn't it God in chapter 7 who brought this Confusion among the Philistine army as Israel was repenting of their sin, washing with water, and making things right before the Lord. They're about to be attacked, and God brought confusion among the Philistines, and they practically defeated themselves. Wasn't it God who opened up the Red Sea and brought him out of Egypt? Wasn't it God who fought all their battles during the time of Joshua and Jericho? The walls came down. Wasn't it God always oh, there, always oh, there, always oh, there? But yet, they want an earthly, fallen, corrupt king to fight their battles. The only thing that that would produce for them is chaos, bloodshed, suffering, corruption, for one reason alone because they rejected God and the prophet Samuel who brought the message from God so it was established they wanted a king they were gonna have a king and the kings were a disaster every single one of them from Saul to David to Solomon and every single one after some worse than others they wanted a king here's your king proving that all earthly kings are insufficient, are not the everlasting king, is not the one who will finally rescue his people. But how amazing God's patience and God's kindness, God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, even through the wicked desire of give us a king other than God, God would use that lineage of the king's to bring about the one true king who will finally come to rescue his people. Because it was through the the root of David, as we sang, through the line of David, not Saul, but but David, that this king would come. And the New Testament would arrive, and after 400 years of silence, you open up Matthew chapter 1, and the first chapter is establishing the genealogy of the king, of the one true king who would come to rescue his people the king who would unlike earthly kings who demand all types of earthly glory and wealth and prestige and recognition and power who become inaccessible to all of those around them who has an iron fist who will then just in all his corruption destroy potentially his very own nation oh this king will be born in a manger that we're celebrating today as we look towards Christmas. And this king one day is crowned not with one of gold, not with a crown of gold, but with a crown of thorns. And he will shed his blood as he's nailed to a tree. This king, the one true rightful king, would be despised and rejected, how Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 51, and, and how he'll be the king who will suffer, but he'll be the king who will once and for all he would conquer all of our enemies and save his people all his people so that we would have the life that he has provided for us alive a life under his rule under his reign under his lordship where there we will find joy where there we will find hope he will keep his people Even as he warns us, even as he disciplines us as a good father, he does it because he loves us. This is why Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give eternal life so that whoever would believe in him, just trust in him by faith, would not perish but have everlasting life. He tells us to call to Come to him if you're tired and heavy laden, he will give you rest. I asked you this morning, who is your king? What king do you follow? You know, Cuba wanted to have a new ruler in their island over 60 years ago because Batista wasn't a good king, a good ruler because they didn't look to God as the one who could rule and the one who could provide. They looked to another earthly king whom they thought was a messiah-like figure. Fidel Castro has come to save us, to restore us. And how did that work out? That's just a little example of what's happened, rippled throughout all of humankind. Your king must be Jesus. I implore you to look to no other king, to no earthly king, but only to the one rightful king, to the one that if you deny him, eventually you will find out as you will bow your knee and confess that he is Lord. Temporary earthly kings could never bring salvation and freedom that can only be brought by God himself. Four points. I'm not elaborating on them because we're out of time. Four truths for you to take home with you. I promise. Number one yes, there's a need for change. But what needs to change is our hearts. What needs to change is our hearts. Because only with a transformed heart, where we have abandoned allegiance to all earthly kings and all the idols of our hearts, when our wicked corrupt dead and sin hearts are made alive by faith in Jesus Christ then that is the only way that we then cling to Jesus and him alone and even as we stumble along and are tempted by earthly kings and gods of this age we would always find refuge and we never be too far away where we would leave the god that we love there's a need for change but what needs to change is our hearts Secondly, while we are rebellious, God remains faithful, amen. Because the demands of the law are present. We must obey them, but we can't. And the testimony of the Bible is that God's people are stiff-necked, hard-headed, blind, lost, cannot. But thank be to God that In his faithfulness, God made a promise to Abraham and made a promise to Noah and made a promise to David and made a promise to, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had a plan from all eternity and that he would be a faithful God even when we would break our end of the bargain and he would take up his, his promises and then fulfill our promises as well when he became a man to live the perfect life and be the new Adam who will be our representative to fulfill the requirements of the law. Oh, while we are rebellious, God remains faithful. Thirdly, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. God might just deliver that to you. God might just give you what you want to teach you a great lesson to cause you to bow the knee. For some of you, it's to rescue you from your sin, to save you from your derailed and debased mind. But for even his children, oh, may we, what we desire, be what God desires for us. That our will will be aligned with his will. Be careful what you ask for. God and his purposes might just give it to you even if it's outside of his purposes and will for you, for your good and his glory. And lastly, let Christ be your king. Profess with your mouth and with your actions and with your life that you need no other king. And daily repent for entertaining other kings, the things of this world. And joyfully Lock arms, like Philippians 2 says, shoulder to shoulder with other Christians in this local church as we together lean forward and go against the grain of this world and find they're worth it because Jesus is worth living for, worth serving, worth giving our lives because he gave his life for us. That should be a huge encouragement for us, church. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the one rightful king If you're not a Christian, turn to Jesus and find that he is not the one thing and the one king you're looking for who would satisfy.